0: From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio. Fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. A federal bill has been introduced that would gut funding for shooting ranges and sportsmen. And no, it's not sponsored by Democrats. It's sponsored by Republicans. Plus, what's the fallout from the recent Supreme Court decision striking down New York's proper cause law for carrying firearms? Some states are changing laws to comply, but New York is openly defying the ruling by introducing more restrictions and making nearly every public place off-limits. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well, despite the uh, the rainy weather, although that's welcome because my yard has already turned brown. Uh, but, Rob, before we get started, we have some important things to discuss. I just want to talk about the fact that this is episode 70 of Keepin' Bear Radio. Can you believe that? I mean, you were my guest on the very first episode about a year and a half ago, January of last year, 2021. We actually recorded that in my basement because we thought at the time— Well, we have to be sitting in the same room to do a podcast. So we've learned a lot. You're sitting in your office. I'm sitting in mine. But, uh, wow, time flies. 70 episodes. What do you think? I think that's amazing. And, you know, when we started this whole thing, I just
1: wasn't sure. Are we going to be able to fill content each and every time? And, boy, everything that's happened over the last year and a half, we've certainly had plenty of things to
0: talk about with our Second Amendment advocates. Well, and I'll tell you why. Because we have a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats out there. That gives us a lot of fodder for crap to talk about. It sure does. Because uh, they're all doing something bad at one point or another. And just since we're you know talking about uh, podcasts, for our listeners, if you like Keepin' Bear Radio, please give us a five-star rating. And if you really like us, tell your friends and family – so they can listen to. Now, I just want to tell you, if you're going to give us a five-star rating, actually give us a five-star rating. We have some good ratings, but there was at least one guy who really liked the podcast, and he said that in his comment, but he clicked one star. You got to click the fifth star to give us the five-star rating, which tells other people, hey, I think this is a great podcast. So if you like it, give us a five-star rating. You know, You can listen to this on your phone, I guarantee you, if you have a mobile phone, you have a podcast app. It's it's built right in. It comes with the phone. You can listen there. You can listen on our website at buckeyefirearms.org. You can listen on the Podbean website, which is where we host Keep and Bear Radio. Whatever is convenient for you, wherever podcasts are, Keep and Bear Radio will be there. So again, uh, let everybody know about it. We'd like more listeners and give us that five star. Rating. Rob, do you listen to podcasts? Are you a podcast listener?
1: You know, I, I'm not obsessed with it. I've got friends who that's all they do in their downtime. But yeah, I do a few podcasts. I, My uh, my son's got me hooked on the Pat McAfee show, which is a sports show that is a podcast. So I, uh, I've i dipped my toe in the pool a bit. And so my two podcasts are the Pat McAfee show and
0: Keeping Bear Radio. Oh boy, you're you're sucking up real nice, Rob. Thanks. That's uh now, as soon as we're done here, I'm gonna go and give it a five star rating. <laughs> five star, five stars, not one star. Okay, yes. make, yeah, I gotta gotta click them all. Well, I admit that before our board, and it was the board who kind of forced me to to do a podcast, you know, we publish articles and we have a newsletter that's been coming out for about twenty years and I've been doing that. But you know, they said, you know, we just need to be a little more modern, we need to do something. So, we decided on a podcast. So, they kind of pushed me, kicking and screaming into it. And I never really listened to podcasts before we started doing this one. And now I'm listening to all kinds, I'm hooked on podcasts. There's you're talking about, you know, a sports podcast. Well, there's the ones on guns, they're you know, history, politics, you name it. And I barely have time to listen to all of them. So, I'm it was kind of weird that we started doing the podcast before I even began listening to podcasts.
1: Well, you know what? This technology stuff overtakes us at a certain point, right? So this represents my attempt at keeping up with the uh, the technology world. I'm sure my kids would be rolling their eyes. This listening to a podcast doesn't constitute being high tech to them, but it sure does to me.
0: Well, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I did an interview and The person I was interviewing couldn't figure out the settings for even how to talk to me. And he brought his kids over and uh, his kids were showing him how to set it up, how to set up the the microphone and everything else. And I was laughing. It's just like, you know, when in doubt, ask your kids because they'll know. They're they're a lot more tech savvy. Well,
1: gosh, they were born into an era that they've never known it not to be the case. Right. So. There's definitely a knowledge gap for us old farts,
0: but I'm doing my best to keep up. So, Rob, let's just dive right into it. Uh, I want to talk about this bill, H.R. 8167. Yeah. And this this is a, a really bad bill that came to our attention. was introduced uh, fairly recently. And I just want to say right up front, you know, BFA is opposed to H.R. 8167. This is a federal bill sponsored by Andrew Clyde out of Georgia. And unlike a lot of bad bills we talk about, this is a Republican bill supported by Republicans, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But this is all about repealing an 85-year-old law that funds just countless programs here in Ohio, all over the United States, that are beneficial for gun owners and sportsmen, and what we're talking about here is Pittman-Robertson. And if you've not heard of that, that's fine. A lot of people haven't. But this is a program that I would argue is one of the most successful government programs in American history. You know, you hear people talk about, oh, Social Security, that's really a successful program. Lots of people like it. It pulls well. I would argue Pittman-Robertson might be one of the top most successful programs in American history. It produces billions of dollars for shooting ranges, firearms and hunter safety training, conservation, wildlife management. Passing this bill, Rob, is going to have a devastating effect on the activities and traditions of gun owners and sportsmen in every state. And I know that you're involved in a lot of sportsman stuff, and I want you to explain what is Pittman-Robertson and uh, how does that program work? Right. So you have to remember... You know, if you go
1: back a hundred years, that wildlife and habitat across this country looked a whole lot different than what we have today. You know, back at the turn of the 1800s into the 1900s, really no one even thought about conserving wildlife or conserving habitat and that sort of thing. And so it was around the early 1900s all the way to the 1920s that people began to buy hunting licenses for the first time, and the money used from that was used to bring back wild places and wild critters to sustainable levels that would allow people to hunt. Now, along that same line, the firearms industry, so you heard that correct, the firearms industry went to Congress and asked them to pass a bill that would create an excise tax that would be dedicated solely to Programs that would benefit, new habitat for wildlife, shooting opportunities, shooting ranges, training for people with firearms, hunter safety training, those kinds of things. The firearms industry asked Congress to do this very thing. Prior to that, the federal government taxed the manufacture of firearms, but they took it into that great big general pot where they could pay for anything with it, which, of course, is a terrible idea so eighty five years ago, nineteen thirty seven, the Wildlife Restoration Act became law uh, like so many things in Congress. It's referred to by the names of the sponsor, the Congressman involved, Pittman and Robertson. Pittman Robertson, is an excise tax that is compiled by the federal government from the purchase of firearms, ammunition, uh, and archery equipment. And then that money is then divvied back out to the states for these various purposes. So in Ohio, we have real examples of the benefit of Pittman-Robertson in in very recent history. So if you've been in Southwest Ohio, you've been to the new Spring Valley shooting range, really just one of the nicer shooting ranges you'll ever go to that was built with Pittman-Robertson dollars. Here in Central Ohio, where we live, Delaware, shooting range, very similar. That was Pittman-Robertson. A few years back, on the private side, you know, not everything is government, uh, the Cardinal Shooting Center opened up, and many of its shooting facilities were paid for with Pittman Robertson dollars. And so what you have here with this program is 85 years of the gun industry saying, hey, we're willing to be taxed. We want to pay this because we want to put something back in that benefits people who own guns, people who hunt, and it's really just a win-win, and I think if we're going to put the best spin on H.R. 8167, we would say these guys just don't know any better, because in a whole list of bad ideas that come from Congress every year, this is surely one of the worst when it comes to what's best for gun owners.
0: And this is a program that, and we've just reported on this on our website, it's produced $15 billion, that's a B, $15 billion in funding to the states. And then $1.5 billion just last year alone because, you know, we've had this big spike in gun sales. And so that means, you know, the, the more guns that are sold, the more ammo that is sold, and there's some other sporting equipment where this tax applies— That's just more dollars that's plowed right back into the shooting sports and goes back to us. So I want to explain, this is not like a tax at retail. This is an excise tax. So it's the manufacturers paying this. Yes, it gets included in the price that you pay. So if you're buying a firearm, it will be a little bit more expensive because of the tax. But that's not going into a general fund. You know, if I go and buy whatever some pants or shoes or, you know, office supplies or whatever it is, that tax goes to various places and it goes into a general fund and the government spends it on whatever it wants to spend it on. This is a tax specifically on us to benefit us. In other words, we're benefiting from this. We are self-funding and that's, I think, pretty unusual for a government program, and it's been very successful. And I don't think there's been much criticism ever of this program, Rob. If you, do you remember anybody criticizing this program or trying to do anything about it in, in, over this course of eight, like 85 years, almost a century?
1: Oh, and, you know, that. in fact, there have been some tweaks to it over the years to improve it. And the definition of improve is to make sure that it goes to its intended purpose. So Congress, believe it or not, you know the very entity that just doesn't know how to handle a pot of money, for 85 years, they have ensured that this money would go toward conserving habitat for hunting, for shooting ranges, for training for people with firearms. It pays for a lot of our youth shooting events and that sort of thing. It's just literally, maybe it's the best ever government-run program, which is kind of crazy to say, has been so successful that some years after Congress passed a companion to this called the Sport Fishing Restoration Act, in which a very similar excise tax is paid for on uh, fishing gear and fishing tackle. And once again, it was the fishing industry that asked for the excise tax, and it has done very similar billions of dollars toward this purpose. So there really is just no reason to attack this particular program. And, you know, I think the sponsor of the bill has said he'd like to see those funds replaced by taxes on something else. I think he said something about fines on environmental fines and the like. But here's the bottom line. If the money doesn't come from the things that we use as hunters and fishermen and shooters, then it'll get fought for. And those dollars that might go our way will instead be spent on other things. The one thing the government knows how to do is take your money and spend it. And that's what makes this program such a diamond, right? Because the money has been protected. And why mess with the goose that lays the golden egg? It is
0: a terrible idea. So the argument for this, I think, from the Republicans would be, well, you know, we're conservative. We we want to eliminate a lot of taxes. And a lot of people who are conservatives would probably feel the same way. Yeah, we're overtaxed. But really, this program by my way of thinking, is about as conservative as you can get. It's about conservation. You know, at least, you know, once you understand it, how it works, how it benefits gun owners, sportsmen, how it supports personal liberty, conservation, literally, American traditions. You know, we've got to remember that in the United States, what we have is really unusual with the Second Amendment, with hunting, with all these traditions that we have. And Culture is, as they say, upstream of politics. So if we lose the culture, we lose the politics. There just won't be anybody there to support what we want to continue in the United States. So you do away with a program like this, you do away with the funding, you're damaging that culture. That means fewer people buying guns, fewer people shooting, using ranges, going hunting, fewer people interested in conservation, When that support dries up, the support for the laws dry up, the support for Second Amendment dries up, you affect the culture, you affect the legislation, and you affect our rights. And that that is just how it works. So supporting a program like this, by my estimation, is about as conservative as you could possibly get. You just need to understand what the program is and how it works, rather than just looking at it, well, it's a tax, let's get rid of it.
1: Right, right. And, you know, I think we've already seen that the sponsors of this legislation have gotten some blowback, as they should have, from conservation groups, hunting organizations, firearms organizations and the like across the country. And I think it took many of them by surprise, right, because they're just following the conservative, you know, philosophical game plan here. It's a tax, therefore it's bad. And God love them. I, I mean, I, I like the idea they're trying to protect our pocketbook. I, I would just say this. Of all the places where government money is badly spent, I would point them in that direction because this is one program that works to our benefit, and it has for 85 years. Here's the crazy part, Dean. It has been nonpartisan. There's almost nothing in Washington that's nonpartisan anymore. If, if a Democrat says, The sky is up, the Republican says it's down. If the Republican says the sky's blue, Democrats can say the sky's green. They can't agree on how to tie shoes. But the one thing consistently in Washington is Pittman Robertson has been seen as a benefit and been left alone. So why in the world would you want to damage it? So I think it's really critical for sportsmen, especially, but but also those who, you know, use firearms for whatever reason that they would, you know, uh, uh, contact their congressman and say, this is a bad idea. Don't, you know, don't
0: pass it. And I want to point out that we're doing more than just saying, you know, contact your congressman and that we oppose it. We're actually arranging a meeting, working toward arranging a meeting with Representative Warren Davidson here in Ohio and bringing together representatives from Buckeye Firearms Association, Sportsman Alliance, and other groups to sit down – With Representative Davidson and explain how this program works and why he and others, all of these other Republicans, need to remove their support. So we are taking action. We're not just, I I know that the knee jerk reaction is just attack, attack, attack. But I honestly think they just don't understand the program. So step one sit down and talk and make sure that they understand what this is and how eliminating this tax is not a conservative move. But protecting the program is the conservative move here. So that is underway, and we'll report on that as uh, we move forward. We're just literally now in the process of, of bringing this together, and it's going to happen um, in Southern Ohio and uh, Davidson's uh, district. So, you know, we, we hope to, that this is just going to be the first step in pushing back on this bill, Rob. Yeah, and I
1: think there's a couple things that we should talk about with regard to meeting with Congressman Davidson. The first is this. As you say, the first reaction is somebody does something that we disagree with. You know, the knee-jerk reaction is just to kick him in the face. And this is an opportunity for us to make a relationship here, right? So my benefit of the doubt meter tells me he didn't understand how badly we would receive this idea. So we're going to communicate that, but we're also going to use it as a chance to cultivate a relationship with Congressman Davidson, right? So maybe the next time around, when one of his colleagues, maybe it's not Congressman Clyde this time, maybe be somebody else, comes up with a bad idea that involves firearms, you know, he'll remember this incident and say, you know, I'm going to check in with my friends over at Buckeye Firearms Association and see how they see this issue before he goes any further. So I always think you use an opportunity like this as a chance to cultivate a relationship and to educate and give them the benefit of the doubt, right? And so that's, that's what we're going to try to do with Congressman Davidson. And as you say, we'll report back on how that goes, but I would expect this meeting to happen sometime in the next two or three weeks. And, and you know, we'll see how it goes from there.
0: And this is federal legislation. So usually we're dealing with Ohio legislation And so we're going, you know, a little bit beyond what we normally do here. But, you know, it affects us in Ohio. It's going to affect the Division of Wildlife. We're partners with them. It's going to affect all sportsmen and gun owners. So, you know, if you're just – you might not be a big gun guy, but if you're a hunter, you're one of the 4 million or so gun owners in Ohio. It's going to affect you. So we think that we need to step in, whether it's federal legislation or Ohio legislation, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to make that meeting happen and see how that goes, and we will report back. So Rob, second thing I wanted to talk about, and you know, I, we knew this was eventually going to come. We had this big U.S. Supreme Court ruling, the Bruin case, and as we predicted, it was going to have some fallout going in different directions. So one of the things that's happened is that you know, in addition to ruling that. New York's law requiring citizens to show proper cause to get a concealed carry license, they rule that that violates the Second Amendment. But it also has prompted the court to basically strike down some other rulings. And so there were four cases that they were actually holding on to, waiting for this ruling, waiting for the Bruin case. And these four cases are in, there's one in New Jersey, one in Hawaii, there's one in California, one in Maryland, and these are cases that deal with magazine bans. A couple of them deal with magazine bans, uh, one for issuing carry permits, and then one on so-called assault weapons. So the court has basically said, you did it wrong, You, you know, you need to try again, and use the process that we laid out in the Bruin case to reconsider all of these cases. So this was a good result. And we already have some states that are re-examining their laws. And now we have, you know, at least these four cases that are going to be basically re-examined because of the ruling at the Supreme Court level.
1: Right. It's you know what, this is really a maybe the even bigger benefit of the Bruin case. You know, certainly the result in in the case itself was awesome. But now, you know, getting clear direction from the Supreme Court down to the lower courts, hey, you know, you need to follow the game plan that we put in place with this decision. You know, I think we have high hopes on all four of these cases. But we also, I think we have high hopes that when there are future cases, that this will be the lens in which these things are evaluated through. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about this yet the cases aren't going to stop coming, right? We know the mayors and the moms, they're going to keep trying to find ways to poke holes in our gun rights. And and this, this brand new decision will definitely be targeted for workarounds and in runs and everything else. So having the court give this kind of guidance to the lower courts, I think that might even be bigger than the decision itself.
0: I actually think at this point that the Bruin case is going to end up ultimately being more important than either of the, first two cases. So, you know, Heller and McDonald, we were involved in those. We were involved in this Bruin case as well. I think this one is going to have the most effect because it didn't just rule on a case and said, you know, here's what we think about this case. It said, here's what we think about this case. And by the way, all of you lower courts, here's how you're going to do it in the future. And by the way, re-examining these other cases where you did it wrong. So that they're taking them to school on second amendment issues. And I will say that New Jersey and California, they've already made some changes. So they they're dropping this good reason requirement. In Hawaii, we we don't really have them saying much at all. They're I think kind of sit back on their heels. They're not sure exactly what to do yet. Of course, New York is New York and we'll talk about that in a minute. They continue to be exactly what they've always been and and they're fighting back. So, you know, again, the the case is kind of falling out in different directions, but I think that th- there has been this really good, you know, direction given in the Bruin case. A lot of the states are going to comply to some extent, and that's really a good thing. So I, I know that when, when, when Rob when Heller came out, it sort of moved the, uh, what they call the Overton window. It, it moves the, the general concept of what the Second Amendment was. And this case, is kind of moving them a little further along so that they're going to think about the second amendment in a different way. I think, you know, say five years from now, we're going to see ourselves in a completely different world when it comes to the second amendment, just like we do now because of the Heller case. The, you know, the case is specific, but it also has broad application because
1: we're not just talking about the specifics of the New York rifle and pistol lawsuit where, you know, when can I carry, when can I not carry? But, you know, this has implications over magazine bans. It has implications over so-called assault weapons restrictions. And and this, this crazy, fairly new idea that I have to justify this in every way, right? Like, how intrusive can the government get before it decides whether I'm allowed to exercise my Second Amendment right? And so this case has a lot of broad application potential. For or against, I should say, to battle against gun control. And I I agree with you. I think this ultimately is going to wind up being much more impactful than Heller.
0: So the New York, I've already said, they're reacting badly to this, but some other states are reacting better and they're trying to comply. New York, I think, basically had a law written before this even came down. They were ready to go. They passed it almost immediately. You've probably seen stories about this. So, yes, technically, New York will become a shall-issue state like Ohio. So, if you apply for a permit, they shall issue the permit to carry. However, they are setting up new rules to make it as hard as possible. So, they've already passed this this new law, which I think willfully defies the, the Supreme Court ruling. And Listen, this idea that, you know, bearing arms extends outside the House— They've done exactly what I thought they would do. They've just made a lot of places off-limits for carry, what they refer to as sensitive places. So now, you know, even if you can get a license, and I want to talk about that in a moment, but there are all of these sensitive places now. So, you know, they're talking about airports, bars and restaurants, courthouses, daycare facilities, playgrounds, parks, zoos, schools, hospitals, entertainment venues, and I'm talking like, you know, movie theaters or, or whatever, Government buildings, churches, libraries, public demonstrations, rallies, public transportation, that's subways and buses, apparently all of Times Square. And the big one is that virtually all private property, the default now is no carry. So that means any business you go to, the grocery store, the drugstore, wherever, and including homes where you live, that the default is now no carry and if anybody wants to allow carry, you have to put up a sign. I think they've gone so far to make all these places off limits. And they, they understand this because Governor Kathy Hochul basically admitted, a reporter asked her, okay, so, so where, where is it left that you can carry a firearm? And she, her response was, well, you know, there might be a few streets. And it was clear what she was trying to do with this bill with with this enormous list
1: I was pulling up a list while you were talking about it here right so I don't know make, make sure you covered them all here but uh, medical facilities like you said that places of worship libraries playgrounds summer camps one that really stuck out to me was homeless shelters right so if there's ever a place where someone's vulnerable it's the most impoverished people but in the state of New York you know they they don't you know they don't care that you're poor they want you to be poor and defenseless at the same time right nursing homes, the subway. I mean, you know, for a for a brief minute in time, you could ride the subway in New York with some level of assurance that it was safe. But now, of course, reports just run rampant that the place is going to the dogs. But nope, you can't defend yourself there. So as you say, you, you know, they've just basically made it to where virtually there's nowhere that you can carry. But Dean, there's something else in this bill that's equally problematic. And that is this. They ditched the proper cause, right? So you know you used to be able to ha- uh, to have to show that you had proper cause to want to carry, but they still will require that an applicant show that they have good moral character. So the state of New York, the state of New York, I'll repeat that because how crazy that sounds. They get to decide if you have good moral character uh, enough to be able to carry a firearm to defend yourself.
0: Well, and in addition to making all of these places off-limits, what they call sensitive places, and essentially their theory here is, you know, anywhere where there's people. They they don't want—Kathy Hochul basically came out and said, and I don't know the quote in front of me, but it was essentially, look, you know, we, you know, we, we don't want you to have to go out in public and, and be near anyone who's carrying a firearm. So you know, obviously there's going to be more cases involving this because they're— They're being, I think, just a little too clever here. But so in addition to making all these places sensitive, now there are additional requirements. They're trying to make this supposedly more objective and less subjective. But you've got to have 16 hours of training. That includes two hours on the range. There's an in-person interview. There's a written, written exam, a review of your social media accounts, which is really creepy. So I guess they're going to look at your Facebook account or your Twitter account or... You know TikTok or whatever it is you have and make some judgment about what that says about you. You're going to have to have the names and contact information of your spouse, your domestic partner, any adults that live with you. You have to uh, reveal if children are in your home. You have to have four character references. So I'm not sure if this got better or worse for people who live in New York.
1: Well, I mean, I think Ultimately this is worse than what they had before, right? Because they're going to crawl right up your innards and root around. This is as intrusive as it gets. But, you know, I'm not as you say, I'm not surprised. The social media thing, think about this. If you espouse a viewpoint that the government decides is a harmful viewpoint, like, you know, there might be a few people out there who think President Trump should have been re-elected, right? There's a few of those out there. Oh, that might be cause to not give you a permit right there. And, and having the government use your social media as a reason to deny you a permit is just chilling. It, it basically, your social media comments could be used as a reason to deny you constitutional rights. It's, thought, it's an awful idea.
0: Well, and the, and the idea of having to post a sign. So if you run a business, I'm not even sure. This may apply to your home, too. If you allow people to carry, you have to put up a sign that says that carry is okay. Right, I, I mean, so you know that might even be a First Amendment violation. I mean, I, I just think that we're going to see more court cases here. This is, uh, you know, arguably gotten worse in New York. They just don't want you to have a firearm. That's what it boils down to. They don't trust you. And I I've long espoused the idea that you can tell a lot about a government by how they view firearms. So if they're basically Like in Ohio, more or less, I mean, we have some things that we fight, obviously, all the time here in Ohio, but more or less across the state in most places, most people are okay most of the time with firearms. You go to New York, especially New York City, and that's where this is coming from, they're essentially saying, we don't trust you. We don't trust anybody with a gun. We don't want anyone with a gun to be anywhere near anybody else because you're a danger. And that says something. About the people in government. Yeah.
1: I mean, they they want us to believe that they can protect us, right? And I don't know if you saw this case, I think it was this morning's news. I'm reading about the bodega owner who was attacked behind the counter. Customers yeah. came around the counter and just attacked him and he defended himself with a knife. And he I believe he's at Rikers Island right now, right? Charge charged, was,
0: he, charged I think, with second degree murder.
1: Yes. So, so we're to believe that the government that would indict this man on a felony charge of murder can defend us in a city that they can't even keep safe, right? The smash and grab robberies, you know, now you've got, if you own a convenience store, apparently you're just supposed to just let people come there and run, run roughshod over you, assault you and not defend yourself. Look there's a lot of questions in the minds of liberals about why so many people want to buy guns these days. But the answer is simple. Society is breaking down in the cities where the liberals are in charge and people don't feel safe.
0: Yeah. And, and again, that the whole bodega thing, by the way, bodega, if you don't know what that word means, I'll admit that I didn't know what that word meant until about two months ago. Uh, Somebody said bodega and said, what the heck is bodega? Well, that's like one of those little, Like one of those little convenience shops. Like for us, it'd be like yep. a UDF or something like that. But they're these tiny little shops in big cities where they sell groceries and you know everything else. It's where people shop in large cities. So this bodega owner who used a knife, the the prosecutor there basically is saying that you know if you're the victim of a crime, you're not actually the victim, right? You, right. you're You're the you're the criminal. And and the criminal is actually the victim because that poor guy got stabbed when he went behind the counter and tried to rob somebody. And I have heard from people who've run businesses in New York where there's kind of an unspoken rule that, you know, if you go into a business, whether you rob them or whatever, you do not go behind the counter. That's like – that's the line. You cross that line and your life is in danger because a lot of those guys who run those businesses, those bodegas, they're armed – and this guy had a knife. Some of them probably do have guns, whether they're legal or not. You just do not go behind that counter, just like in most places you don't go inside somebody's home. But the prosecutors in places like this, they don't want to prosecute the criminals. They, they want to get rid of the guns. They want ordinary law-abiding citizens to be seen as criminals, and they want the criminals to be seen as victims. And I think that guy who attacked the shop owner had just gotten out like the day before for some sort of serious serious crime and and he's right back at it. So, you know, that that's one of the reasons that we don't support passing new gun laws because if if you're not going to enforce laws that keep us all safe, then what's the point? What well, you know what right. well, why you're just making us the criminal rather than recognizing that the criminal is a criminal. It's just crazy. It,
1: Absolutely, and, and so the, the full story on that bodega case, uh, apparently uh, the the assailant's female companion attempted to buy something, didn't have enough money, so she wasn't able to make the purchase, so that made her upset. She went out. She talked to apparently the fellow who ultimately came in. He came in there. He went around the corner uh, behind the counter, and he assaults this guy on video. It's on video. This is not Dean and Rob, you know, interpreting what happened. The video shows him, he shoves this guy against the wall behind the counter. And the fellow who uh, who, uh, was working at the bodega then grabs a knife off the shelf to defend himself. So I I, I can just imagine the New York prosecutor's case is going to be, well, he didn't know he was going to try to hurt him, right? Dean, he didn't know when he went around the counter and shoved him against a wall that that wasn't going to be the end of it, that he was going to say, I got that out of my system. I'm going to leave now, you know. So, I mean, what possible sane person
0: on a jury is going to convict this guy? I, I you know, that's. I think even in New York, I mean, the politicians are New one York. thing. Even in New York, they're going to let <laughs> this guy off because I think if you live in places like that, you're fed up. And and look, even I've been reading stories about San Francisco and how you know they are fed up. Even the yeah. liberals, the ultra-liberals, they are fed up with this kind of nonsense, with people being able to go into stores, and as long as you're not taking more than $950 worth of merchandise, you can basically just walk or, you know, putting up with these kind of assaults and, and having no consequences for People are fed up, everybody across the political spectrum. I imagine the communists and the socialists and whatever else out there, they're fed up to, I think... <laughs> that, that there are there are prosecutors who are just who are not aware of how upset people are and and I, I as I always say you know the, the pendulum swings. it has swung too far to one side. it is starting to swing back. I hope this guy gets off because and I, and I saw the video, Rob I, I saw that on, you know how this guy was attacked and and the thing is, how would he know whether that guy was armed or not? Who came in and attacked him? When someone is attacking right. you, you don't know. And what's he supposed to do? Say, you know, uh, sir, uh, you know, please leave. I have a knife here. I might use it. Wait a minute. What's what's he supposed to do? Give a warning,
1: right? What's your What's your game plan, sir? Are You just here to beat me up a little? Like, is this a fat lip and a black eye, or, or are you? Do you mean me serious harm? And the other thing you need to you'll see this video. You know the the bodega worker is an older fella, and the assailant is a younger person. And you know those of us who are no longer you know young guys, uh, I, I'm I'm you know I'm not capable of a boxing match any longer. If somebody attacks me, uh, I'm a, I'm an easy victim without something like a knife or a firearm to defend myself. And just the, the basic fundamental human right to defend yourself is what the New York prosecutor is attacking here. I hope I hope this guy gets acquitted. I, I hate the fact that he's going to endure legal fees to defend something that should be a slam dunk. But boy, I hope New Yorkers wake up. This, this is the loonies truly in charge of New York City if they think that someone should be charged with murder for that.
0: Now, didn't the mayor, Eric Adams, didn't he come out and say, I mean, he's a Democrat, but I think he did come out and say that you know this guy was defending himself so you know uh, you know he's he's a democrat but he, i think he was a former police officer at least some people are recognizing that there's a problem and and self defense is just logical so i mean
1: it's it's a human right like we talk about what's the old maslow's hierarchy of needs like right? actual survival this guy this guy goes around the counter and attacks this older fella and you're supposed to be a mind reader. Hey, Dean, he might not have meant any harm other than chucking you against a wall. You should wait to find out.
0: Well, I remember there was a story I think in the Columbus area somewhere. There was one of these drive-through places where you can pick up, you know, beer and whatever. A guy basically came in, walked in, robbed them, left, had closed the door. So you think, well, it's all over. Then, then he popped his head back in the door, and took a couple shots of the people inside, and then and then left. So, I mean, the, you don't know what people are going to do and what's in their mind. And if you're the kind of person who's going to go to a place and beat somebody up and act like that, just that alone says that you're just not thinking straight. You're, your head is not wired right. So, you know, you're in danger the moment that starts. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the guy gets off and maybe some people will do a fundraiser and help support his legal defense. And I uh, just hope he'll... It'll be okay. So, well, Rob, we're both kind of mad and angry, and I hate to, uh, <laughs> I hate to end a podcast on that. But that's that was really the, the only things I want to discuss this time. And we're about forty minutes or so into this podcast. So, we'll report on how this meeting goes with Warren Davidson. And there's a lot of great stuff going on right now. That's for sure with this uh, Supreme Court ruling. So let's just try to keep that in mind and think happy thoughts and hope that a lot of these gun laws get struck down. So, Rob, thanks for being on the podcast once again, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, Dean. Thanks a lot. It's good to be with you. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA... Go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.